Sometimes the Lord puts a message on a preacher's heart that feels um, too big to try to preach. That's how I feel this morning. As the Lord is preparing my heart for this message, I don't know if you'll understand. I think some of you will understand this. It just felt hard to breathe. And I, don't, I say that in a good way. I, I feel like God wants us to understand a little bit more about who He is. And to try to preach about the Lord is a great privilege, but it's also overwhelming because He's unlike anybody and anything. And that's what's on my heart this morning. If I titled this message, I would take it directly from the Scripture that we're going to look at, which is in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 17, 1 Timothy 1, 17, one of Paul's letters, as you're turning there, the title would be, The Lord God, Eternal, Immortal, Invisible. The Lord God, Eternal, Immortal, Invisible. We're just going to read one verse. As you're turning, I'll just give you a little bit of the context of this Chapter 1, this is a letter Paul wrote to a young preacher, and it's interesting to me, we always want to look at a little bit of the scriptural context. This, this verse is sandwiched in between um, teachings about false teachers. It, it's, it, we can't lose that. I, I'm not going to preach about the false doctrines, but I want you to understand this statement of um, absolute truth about our Lord God is sandwiched in between warnings against all sorts of false teachings. In other words, brothers and sisters, the solution, the answer to every false doctrine, every false idea, every problem in the world is God. Amen. That's the point. So understand that as we read this one verse. Now unto the King eternal... Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Whatever problem you think you can't figure out, whatever distraction you have in your life, whatever person is coming against you in whatever situation, whatever, attack, whatever spiritual force might come against the people of God, this is the answer. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, if you're still turning there. Under the King eternal. We read over things like that, and I think we've heard it so much, we just read right past it. But I want us to, there's so much truth in this one verse. Let's take this first phrase. Now unto the King. Our Lord God is the King. Amen. Now, we who have grown up in America, and particularly in the South, we just don't get that. We don't get it. I read about kings. I read history books. We, it, it's in our DNA. I mean, those, especially those of us in this region of the South who came from tribes who were always battling against their oppressors, we don't get it. And I'm, I'm, I particularly am thankful for that, but that's not the point. The point is, we don't understand the idea of a king, so we need to pause here for just a moment and, and just talk about that. First of all, a king 
is the most powerful person in your world if you're in a place that has kings. And in this time, the king had authority, and all through the Old Testament, the king had authority. He didn't have to go to a big um, to-do about it. He could just turn his thumb down and the person in front of him would be dead. He had thousands of people doing his bidding. Whatever he wanted, he got. The king was supreme. Let's understand our Lord is the king. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. You might not think that. It might not look like that. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of bad things that happen. There's a lot of things I don't understand. Doesn't change the truth. The Lord is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And when He chooses to, He casts them down. And when He chooses to, He raises people up. He has the power to do that. And I've come across some things in my life, my short life so far. Some um, egregious acts of sin. People do terrible things. And if we're honest, we don't understand why God allows that person to continue. We don't understand it. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but the only way I know how to say it is, God has brought me to a place, this is true, that I honestly feel like, God, you know better than I do. And if you have chosen to spare that person for this time, you know, Lord. I don't envy anybody who's going to be brought under the judgment of God. I don't wish that on anybody. And that's what the Lord showed me, not in one moment, but in a lifetime, I don't know what's best. And I might see an evil and think, I need to do something, or that person needs, they need to be gotten. God knows. I I want you to, if you have been, I didn't know I was going to even say these things, but I want you to understand, if you have gone through things in your life, or somebody you know has gone through things that were unjust, that were wrong, if they were the... um, sufferers because of someone else's evil, I want you to know God didn't miss that. And the evildoers will be punished. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry. God has not forgotten. Now why He hasn't done what we think He should do in the way we think He should do, well, we're going to talk about that today because He's not like us. But back to this point, the king... God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Almighty God. There are kings, there are powerful people, but they only rule in this dimension. In this space and time. Many of them only rule in the region they're in. There There are still countries in the world who have kings, right? Those kings don't have any authority here. God has supreme authority everywhere. Not just in this earth, and not just in the dimension that we live in, and I'm, I'm care- I don't even know how to say this, but outside of the dimensions we understand, God has authority. He is all-powerful. There is no limit to His power. You say, well, you're just saying things I've heard before. It, well, they're on my heart to say, because we don't really get it. 
Because we're talking about things, even though I'm using words, we can't conceptualize these things because they're greater than us. And if we understand a glimpse of them, if the Holy Spirit puts a little bit of this in your heart, it will give you relief. That's what I'm talking about. Relief from the battles that you face. From illness, from exhaustion, from worry, from resentment, from despair, from frustration, from this frenetic activity that our culture is consumed in. God can give you rest from all of that. Because He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the ruler of all time and space and the things beyond time and space. Amen. I don't know how to describe that. But everything we think about is based on time and space. God exists outside of that. Because He created it. (laughs) So we thank God, why haven't you answered yet? Because for Him, it's not yet or already. It just is. I don't understand that. I'm just telling you what the truth is. God exists in all of His fullness in the ever-present now. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but these things are so beautiful. Now, a king, part of a king that we don't understand because we don't have kings, and I think part of that, God's people have uh, failed to understand this truth that we are part of His kingdom. A king has a kingdom, brothers and sisters. He has a kingdom. We talk a lot about being sinners saved by the grace of God. There's even a song my uncle used to sing. It's a beautiful song. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And there's truth to it. I understand it. But I also want you to understand you're not just a sinner. You are priests of the Most High God. You are subjects in His kingdom. Listen to this, Revelation 5.9. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Why don't we talk about that? I think we're afraid of reigning. And you might get caught up in in the distraction that happens from particular teachings like Daniel and Revelation and think, well, that time is not yet. Times and seasons are up to God. Truths are eternal. Truths are what you should focus on. He has called out from the world a kingdom for His use and purpose and you're supposed to be His subjects and His priests. You're not some little pitiful sinner. You are a priest of the Most High God. Through Him. Left to your own devices, you're you're something more pitiful and small than I can even describe. Why would you focus on that part? We, We know that. Do any of you doubt that you're weak? I I don't doubt it. I still try to do things on my own, which is just foolish. But it's part of our nature. What we want to focus on is the Lord God Almighty has chosen us to be His subjects and to work for Him. It's a beautiful thing. 
He is the king. Now unto the king. The next word, eternal. In this particular verse, the first thing Paul calls the king is eternal. That again is a word, we can use the word, we can describe the word, we can talk about the word, but we don't really understand it. (laughs) Now, if you look at the definition of this word in, in the New Testament, it means an unbroken age, forever and ever. What does that mean? I don't know. But it's big and wide and deep and long. We're talking about time that supersedes time. Distance that goes farther than distance. No beginning and no end. Amen, brother. In fact, that's how Jesus described himself. He said... I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, who is and who was and who is to come. How far back is is or was? How far back is was? How how now is is? And how far in the future is, is to come? We don't know. God is all existing, ever existing, forever and ever, in both directions, all directions. Wow. 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 And why wouldn't we be like a little two-year-old and pick up a dollar and say, here's a dollar, put it in the coffee can at church. Why wouldn't we be? Everything He gives us is for His use. That should relieve us. That should free us. Y'all can tell I feel a little better than I've been feeling. Because God's given me a little bit of this truth. I can let go a little bit of all the things I think I'm supposed to do. You know the best thing we... I'm not saying don't work, don't be willing. Y'all, come on. You know that. But the best thing we can do is be ready and get out of God's way. When He says go, go. And until then, I'm okay just kind of... At least right now in this moment, I feel okay with it. Just kind of watching him do what he does. It's beautiful. We could say God's eternal, and Paul said that, but that doesn't capture the infinite expansiveness of our God. I'm trying to describe truths I don't even have language to say. Now, we're taught in Scripture that God gives His children eternal life. Jesus said that specifically. He said, I give unto them eternal life. So, so we understand it. At least, maybe we don't understand it completely in our brains. But those of us who've been redeemed by the power of God and have experienced the new birth, there's something inside of us that understands something about eternal life. There's some part of us that understands we know we're not going to die. That's why some of the old saints of God can pass from this life to their eternal life, and it's like it didn't even affect them. I've heard about it. I've read about it. Some of you have seen it. It's because when God saves you, He makes you, he, you become eternal. I don't understand that, but I'm telling you what Scripture teaches. Now, there's some part of us that understands that. That there's a moment when God calls you and when you surrender and repent, 
that we call new birth. Jesus, when he was describing it to Nicodemus, said you must be born from above. Translation says born again, but it's born from above. And when that happens, you now have a, um, an aspect of God's nature in you. You have become eternal. But only in that direction. God's eternal in the other direction too. See, His children, we had a starting moment when we were born. God never had that. And I will tell you readily, I don't understand that. When did God begin? He didn't. Well, how is He? He is. Well, how did, who, who, you children, they ask things like this. They're beautiful, sincere questions. Who made God? Nobody. God has, it's not even accurate to say God made Himself. Because He just always has existed. This is truth, but I don't understand it. God never had a beginning point. He never had a moment of becoming. He was never born. He never started. He, by His very essence, always has been, is, and always will be. God told Moses... The Lord sent, do you remember that story? The Lord sent Moses to a rebellious people, and Moses said, I love Moses. He was so honest. He said, Lord, they're not going to believe me. How, what can I say to get these knuckleheads to believe me? I'm, I'm using modern southern English for you, but <laughs> that's, if, he, if he was from here, that's what he would have said. They're not going to listen, Lord. And the Lord said, Tell them I am that I am has sent you. What are you going to say to that? So he comes, he tells them, and they're, they're, I'm sure they're making fun of him. They're saying, this is ridiculous. Who sent you? And he said, he just told me to tell you I am. Sometimes we think we need to explain things on behalf of God. There's a whole um, apologetics, biblical science, I don't know what you want to call it, and and I admire those people. I admire scriptural uh, uh, apologists. And they're not apologizing. They're defending the truth with truth. That's what that means from the Greek word apol- apologia. But here's what I'm telling you. There's an appropriate place for that. It's necessary. I appreciate it. And to some degree, we should pursue that. But God doesn't need explaining. Amen. He doesn't need defending. So when he told Moses, here's what you say, it's fascinating to me that he didn't give him like a really good explanation. He gave him a self-evident statement that didn't explain anything. So, so, so who sent you, Moses? I am. Okay, so who's that? I am. Okay, but who is he? I am. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we think it's our job as religious people to try to take the supernatural, the mystery of God. Paul in another place said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. We think we're supposed to condense the mystery into something scientific. That's not our job. God is supposed to be amazing and mysterious. And when people in Scripture interact with Him, with Jesus or with God or the Holy Spirit and they truly have had an encounter with Him, they come back amazed. They can't explain it. 
the woman at the well, she ran away to her people and said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? She didn't run back with all the answers and say, he's the Messiah because of this, this, and this. She ran back with absolute, utter amazement. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I don't care if you're older or younger, you're very young. The best way you can witness to the world about God is to interact with Him in such a way that you're amazed. Not that you think you understand what you should explain. But so that when you talk to people, literally pouring forth from you is just, wow! I am that I am. This is what you'll say unto the children of Israel. Jesus confirmed this in the New Testament, John 8, 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. The Greek construction he used, the two words, ego, me, I am. He was in just those two words, just in that statement, uh, referring back to what his father told Moses, and he was confirming, I and the Father are one. I am. Jesus, in saying that, was saying, I am the ever-existing one. I'm God. He didn't use a bunch of language to explain that. Now, this, this is not a, a message against understanding truth or against saying things clearly. Obviously not. But what I'm telling you is we have been privileged to ex- experience and interact with and partake of the supernatural. How are you really going to describe that? We try. But here's what I'm saying. Don't feel bad if you can't find the words. Because it's not the words anyway. It's the Spirit of God. Jesus made the Spirit of God who gives life. It's not words. You can say all the right words and not have the Spirit of God. You miss the point. You can have just a few words. Have the power of God, the Spirit of God, and that is how God works. So God is eternal. The next point, immortal. Again, a fascinating word. There are so many attributes that Paul could use, but these first two he uses, eternal and immortal. Listen to this from Revelation 1, beginning in verse 12. Don't turn there, just listen. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about his chest with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as flames of fire, and his feet like undefined brass." as if they'd been burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. This is like, like imagine Niagara Falls. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shines in all of its strength. Let me just pause for a minute. Does that look like that? That's not what Jesus looks like. This is what Jesus looks like. Absolute, never-ending, 
resplendent power in, in the manifestation of a man. And again, words fail me. Jesus is not weak. He, he, he has no weakness. And even though He's full of long-sufferingness and kindness and love toward us, He is the Almighty, Eternal, and Immortal King. And when I saw Him, continuing from Revelation, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. The older I've gotten, the less confidence I have when people tell me in a nonchalant, flippant way, God told them something. I don't believe them. When somebody says, God told me in a nonchalant manner as if their mom called them on the phone and told them something, I don't believe them. Because when God really interacts with you, this is the response. Now, God told this man something, John, on the Isle of Patmos, and he fell down like he was dead. I think he thought he was dead. Why? Because God's power is so overwhelming. We, our bodies can't even contain it. I've, I, there's been a few times I've preached, and just in this, in my feeble way, sometimes I, I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like somebody just wrung me out. I feel so poured out and exhausted. Why? Not because of what I said. I could get up and talk for hours. It's not that. It's because of an encounter with a little bit of the presence of God. Now, that, not on the level that John experienced. He has Jesus come to him and tell him things to tell us. No wonder he fell down like he was dead. But listen how Jesus interacted with him. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. <laughs> Fear not. That's what God tells us with his spirit. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am... Jesus is doing it. He's restating his ever-existingness. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Let's look at this. This, this is the immortal... This is why Paul writes to Timothy that God is immortal. This is what he's talking about. I am the first and the last. Jesus is saying, I've always been. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. In, in John, we read this in the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And a little bit later in that chapter, we see that He, the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Jesus is saying, I always have been. Wow. And yet He wasn't the man Jesus until He was born. There's something else I don't understand. He's always existed as the Word, the Logos. I am He that lives, present tense. I live. Now, that's forever. 
I am the eternally alive one. But then he said, and was dead. Wow. Jesus, God's son, the Logos, who has always existed, allowed himself to experience death. So he could understand that one final aspect of what it means to be human. Jesus tasted something that the Father never went through. Say, well, don't limit God. I'm not limiting God. I'm telling you, Jesus tasted something the Father didn't go through. That's Scripture. He died, but He's not dead anymore. And He never will be dead again. That's what it means to be immortal. And behold, I am alive forevermore. To me, this is... This is almost even more powerful if Jesus never had died uh, than if he never had died. I want to make sure I make that clear. To me, this is, this, the fact that he's immortal, the fact that he has died, came back to life and never will die again. In other words, he's already been tested by death and it wasn't enough. That's right. Thank you, Lord. How beautiful. That's why everybody who's ever been saved by the grace of God, when you die, the main part of you, that part of you that really is you, doesn't die. It goes home. Beautiful. Oh, your body dies, but so what? You go home. I'm the one who lives, who was dead, and who is alive forevermore. Now, the final of the three points that Paul says about God. He's the king, he's uh, eternal and immortal. The third one he says is invisible. That's really intriguing to me. And it wasn't accidental. Paul's very intentional in his writing, and his speaking. You say, of all the attributes, he could have talked about God being omnipotent or omnipresent or omniscient. He could have talked about so many... I guess there are an infinite number of attributes of God, really, if He's infinite. That's probably an accurate way of thinking about it. And yet, of the three things that Paul points out, the third one is invisible. Why? Now, if you're just told something's invisible, does that make you think it's particularly powerful? It should. Part of what Scripture teaches us is that reality, I mean the things that really matter, the real reality, is behind and underneath and above all this stuff that we see. There's a whole world bigger than the world that we live in, bigger than the material. That's why it's so um, ridiculous when people try to subject God to the scientific method or something similar to that. If you prove to me with science that God exists, how can you prove with science somebody exists who invented everything and created, not just invented, but created? An inventor takes something that's already there and makes it into something else. God invented the stuff too. Built it, made it, created it. And he's invisible. There's a reason Paul talked about this word. Does that concern you that your God's invisible? Some people it does. Now, 
Part of the reason I believe, and this is, I'm just speaking from my heart, what I feel like the Lord has, has showed me. Part of the reason that Paul is making sure we understand that God is invisible is because all these other false gods of the world are not invisible. They had somebody build them from their hands. There's a psalm that talks about this, and it, and it points out the ridiculousness of idolatry. It talks about a man cuts down a tree, fashions it into an idol that he worships, and with the same wood, he builds a fire that he cooks his food on. You can't do that with an invisible God. The invisible God. What does he look like? Not like that. We don't know what he looks like. There's a reason for that. It's intentional. We're not supposed to make things that look like him because everything we think looks like him doesn't. He's invisible. Do you understand? This, it matters. There's a reason the Lord, one of His Ten Commandments said, do not make any graven image. Nothing. Nothing from the sea, nothing from the sky, nothing from the land. Why? Because God's invisible. He's supernatural. He's bigger than everything material. And after all the material stuff is melted, burned up with fervent heat, our Lord God will continue to be the very same that He always has been. The, the, the destruction of the world as we know it isn't going to change God one bit. He's never changed at all. That's part of Him being invisible. He's, he, he, he's not influenced by all of this. He's beyond it. And here's the other thing, I think another important aspect that it teaches us is Brothers and sisters, faith is not based on anything you can see, touch, taste, uh, hear. It's not based on any of this, these senses. It's deeper. You've experienced that if you know the Lord. There's something deeper than any of your senses and anything you can describe that is part of this, this the invisible. And I think part of what Paul is trying to teach Timothy here and teach us here is stop looking for the things that are seen. Stop looking for physical proof all the time. Stop looking for evidence. God is invisible. Seek after Him with that part of you that is invisible. And He'll witness His miraculous power to you in ways that are invisible. Now, sometimes you'll see the effects this, this supernatural, the, the invisible, the spiritual realm does affect this realm. But it's so far bigger and beyond and more. That's what we need to get from this. There's lots more that I could say about that, but I, I want to move on. Or feel like I should. And just um, wrap up this message. So I want you to think about a couple things. In light of all, these three attributes... And again, there's many more. I'm, people have written about the attributes of God. They didn't stop at three. And Paul didn't stop at three. This is just one verse from one letter. These are the three attributes that he focused on here and what were on my heart today. But in, in light of all of this, I want you to consider a couple of things. God never does anything suddenly. 
Everything he does is intentional. And, and again, words fail, but for lack of a better way to explain it, intentional, thought out, planned. He's already thought about all the ends and angles. and He hasn't just thought about it, he's already seen it all. He's already been there with all of the possible eventual outcomes. He's already experienced all of everything that could happen. So I don't know what that means. I don't either, but it's true. Because we're here... I wish I had a board I could write a line on. A linear universe, that's where we live. God lives outside of that. He, he's like the professor who wrote the line on the board. We think the line has some power. God's the one, he wrote the line and now he's going to spend the, the hour lecturing about what the line is. And that's just a glimpse of, of how God is. He never does anything impulsively. There's no impulsivity in his nature. He's already infinitely wise. He's not growing wiser because he's already existed in an infinitely wise state. God's not getting smarter. He's already as smart as a being could ever be. He started out that. He didn't start. He's always been that way. Do you see what I'm saying? The the language doesn't work. And those of us who are trying to serve the Lord, hopefully we're getting older. Every day we're getting older. And hopefully we're also getting wiser. God doesn't do that. He, he's already there. He's the only one who's ever arrived. And ever will. We humans, I want to talk about your weakness a little bit as a compare and contrast to God. And it will give you some, some help and some relief. We often encounter a situation, we react based on how we feel about that particular situation, we make this decision or that decision, and then what we chose in that moment influences our options in the next moment. Do you know that? Every decision you make limits your future decisions, or expands your future decisions. This is why it's so important. This is why, let me talk to the young people, young people are in my heart. I don't know why, I love, I love older people too, but I guess because... The younger ones have your lives ahead of you. This is why Solomon, who experienced everything you could experience and had all the wealth in the world, said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is why you were created. That, there's nothing better than that. I want you to know that. See, we make a decision and it affects the future. It affects what we can do later. That's why it's so important to follow the Lord. And when we do sin, we can repent. God can forgive, praise His holy name. But it doesn't take away the consequences of the decision that you made. God saves murderers. But the person the murderer killed is still dead. And the family who suffered because their child was killed by the murderer, they're still suffering. Do you see what I'm saying? The consequences aren't gone. That's why, listen to me, young and all of us, it matters what we do. It's like that children's song. You know that song? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. And it goes on and says, be careful, Little feet where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful what you do. 
I love that phrase. Not looking down in anger. He's not waiting to get you. He's looking down in love. That's why you want to be careful. Why would you hurt his heart? And this doesn't mean we should live in fear. No, we should live circumspectly. Because your decisions, they don't only change the course of your life. Listen, they don't only change your life, they change you. They change you. And we live in continual existence of change. We're always expanding, contracting, moving forward, going back, excited, discouraged, jubilant, depressed, energetic, languishing. But our God does not change. So rest yourself in that, brothers and sisters. He is stable. You can trust Him. Amen. God has seen every possible eventual outcome. He's not bound by time. He exists fully in every present moment. In fact, the Scripture says, He fills all in all. Oh, people, behold your God. I thought about calling the message that. Behold your God. How beautiful. To the only God be honor. That's how he concludes this verse. To the only wise God be honor and glory both now and forever. Amen. There's a song that comes from a very similar passage in in Jude, actually. And it says to the... How's it go? To the only God... The one who is able to keep us, able to keep us from falling into the only God. Isn't that beautiful? Be all glory and honor, majesty and power to all ages now and forevermore. That's our God. Behold your God. When your life is a mess, behold your God. What a beautiful God we serve. Praise His holy name. Thank you, Lord.